good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. For those of you who are here in person this morning, good morning. Lovely to see you. For those of you watching live online, good morning to you too. Great to have you joining us this morning. Maybe you're watching this later in the week. Good evening, good afternoon, wherever we find you. Thanks for making some time to tune in and make church a part of your week. Um, If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you would have heard Pastor Chase uh, kick off this series that we're in called Redeemed, and he told a great story at the very beginning about um, a chapter in his life where he went out to China for a short period of time to teach English as a second language. Well, I moved here uh, in 1994, and I feel like for the last almost 30 years, that's what I've been doing, teaching English as a second language to a country that speaks a little bit kind of similar English to me, but a little bit different as well. And I've learned in my many years of being here that there are words that I say that mean something completely different here than they do back home. I've learned that there are words that I say differently. I remember when I first arrived back in the mid-90s, one of my big biggest challenges. I was very English at that point, real strong accent, like unlike now when it's completely Americanized. Um, very strong accent back then. I remember having a real hard time at drive throughs okay, fast food drive throughs Burger King was the, uh, the toughest of them all. I can remember one time pulling up and uh, the lady comes on and said, what would you like? And I said, could I have a Whopper? And there was a pause and she says, so what would you like? I said, I'd like a Whopper. Another long pause. Then another voice comes on, sir, uh, what is it you want? And now I kind of figure out what's going on, so I have to say, can I have a whopper? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, because where I come from, they're whoppers, okay? But for you guys, they're whopper. So (laughs) my wife loves it when I tell that story because she hates the way I do that word and try my American accent. I'm not very good at it. So... um, So I'm thrilled to be here this morning. We love you guys here at Great Oaks. We aren't too far away at Connect Church. I've known Pastor Nate Westerfield for almost my entire time of being here in America. I knew when he was a kid in the youth group at a church in Washington, and we've grown up together. And I love, love, love seeing what God's done in his life over the years. Um, I love the um, role he plays here at Great Oaks. And um, so I was thrilled when he and the rest of the team reached out to me and asked if I would come and speak speak this morning. And they told me that you were doing this series called Redeemed. And uh, it's a great concept, a great principle. If you're new this morning, if you're here for the very first time, um, you can listen to previous messages online. Last week, Pastor Dan did a fantastic job of kind of breaking down what redeemed really means. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, he clearly explained what it means to be redeemed. If you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you're still unsure about this, you're, you're maybe kind of checking things out, you've not taken that, that step of uh, maybe wants to follow Jesus yet, but you're, you're interested and you want to learn more and you've seen what Jesus has done in the life of your family and friends, I want to tell you, this subject is a great subject to listen in on. Because the center of who we are as followers of Jesus is the fact that we are redeemed. And you're going to learn more and more about that over the coming weeks. But um, if you're here for the first time this morning, listening for the first time this morning, I looked up in the dictionary uh, just the definition of the word redeemed. This is what I came across. It means to buy back or to repurchase, to get or to win back. Another definition is to free from captivity by payment of ransom. Now, that's the dictionary definition of the word redeemed, as we would use it in our English language. It's actually a fantastic definition for what the Bible talks about 
when it talks about being redeemed. Because you see, throughout the Bible, there is this, this message of redemption that flows throughout the entire story of the Bible. That story is that God loves you and me so much that he wanted to redeem us. He wants to win us back, to repurchase us, to, to free us from captivity by paying a ransom. And that was a great ransom. Jesus himself explained what that ransom was when he said that he had come to give life, to give his life as a ransom to many. Jesus came to redeem us. So the entire narrative of the Bible is the story of God's redemptive plan for you and for me. And yet in the Bible, there are also these wonderful individual stories of God redeeming people's lives. A couple of weeks ago, you heard about, maybe for the very first time, some of you, a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat and how God redeemed him. Last week, you would have heard about Paul, one of the key figures in the New Testament. His redemption story is amazing. If God can redeem Paul, formerly Saul, he can redeem any of us this morning. And this week, we're going to jump back into the Old Testament again, and we're going to look at a, 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 a guy in the Old Testament who got to experience God redeem his life. But unfortunately, we're going to learn today that he kind of messed up his response to that redemption. And what I want to do this morning is look at this guy through the lens of our life. And say, okay, as I look at you and, and the mistake you made, how is it affecting me? If, if I'm here this morning, if Jesus has redeemed me, how does it affect the way I view others? So the guy I'm talking about, his name is Jonah. Some of you may remember Jonah. If you've grown up in church, he would have been one of the lessons you probably uh, were taught in kids' class. Maybe when you grew up in Sunday school, it was flannel graph, and there was a flannel graph of a whale and a little guy. And, and uh, if you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, I'm going to kind of recap it here briefly because there are four chapters in the book of Jonah. And I want to look at the last chapter here this morning, Jonah chapter 4. But to get us to Jonah chapter 4, let's have a quick recap. So Jonah chapter 1 starts out with God coming to Jonah and telling him that he is to go to a city called Nineveh and preach the good news because he wants to redeem the people of Nineveh. Now Jonah, for some reason, he had his hands in his ears like, la, 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 I can't hear you, God. I don't know what you actually said. I, I think I'll get on this boat that's going the complete opposite direction. And Jonah disobeys God, he runs from God, and you've got Nineveh this way, he gets on a boat that's going to Tarshish that is miles in the other direction. Once out on the open sea, a big storm comes up, and the sailors realize that something's going on here. Jonah realizes this is a consequence of his disobedience, of his running from God. The sailors throw him into the ocean, the storm calms down. A giant whale, and this I bought my little prop here from a trip that my wife and I took to Maui, and uh, we got to see the whales out there, and she just wants to buy a whale tail. That's the only thing she wants to buy while she was there, and uh, it wasn't the cheapest of things to buy, but I've used it now in this message, so she'll be happy that it was money well spent, and it served a great purpose here, showing up in our story today. But this whale comes along, swallows up Jonah. In the belly of the whale, Jonah cries out to God for forgiveness. He says, I'm sorry, I know I messed up. I know I went one way and you said go the other way. And, and God forgives Jonah. Three days later, Jonah is, is spat up onto the beach and he goes to Nineveh. He fulfills God's commands. And when he gets to Nineveh, he actually preaches the lamest sermon ever. This is, this is what he preaches to Nineveh. For 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. 
When you read Jonah chapter 3, that's all he said. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, as you know, all us preachers know, it's not a real sermon unless it's been at least an hour long, okay? And uh, Jonah, he decides to just, this is it. That's all he preaches. But listen to what happens. All the city repents and turns to God. Now, these were enemies of the Jews. Therefore, these were enemies of God. So they weren't kind of, you know, already favorable of God. These were people that were going this way. They hear Jonah's message. They repent and they turn to God. And when God saw their hearts, when God saw their response to Jonah's message, listen to what he says in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So we're three chapters in now to Jonah. And we've got this wonderful story of redemption. Of of people being redeemed. First, we discover that Jonah messes up. He went the wrong way. He gets swallowed by the whale. He says sorry to God. God has mercy. And God redeems Jonah. God forgives him. He then goes and preaches to the wicked people of Nineveh. They say sorry. God redeems them. So we've seen God redeem Jonah. We've seen God redeem the people of Nineveh. Jonah had to be thrilled, right? Well, before we look at Jonah chapter 4 and we see Jonah's response, I'm going to kind of set up Jonah's response a little bit here. So if you're a parent here this morning of a, a preschooler, maybe a toddler of some sort, maybe you're a grandparent this morning, and uh, you have the grandkids who come over and visit sometime, you, you may relate to some of the pictures I'm about to show you. These pictures are from a website that I came across where folks um, submit their images of their own children having tantrums, temper tantrums. And then what they do is they write a little comment as to what brought this child to this state of misery. You would imagine it was the worst imaginable thing, but, but let's have a look at a couple of these temper tantrums this morning. This first one here, uh, if we can pull that picture up, it's right there. He didn't want to share his leg hole. <laughs> that was it. That just put him right over the edge. You can see his little sister there going, seriously, do you see what I've got to put up with here? Look at this. He just didn't want to share his leg hole. How about this next one? I like this one. It says, he didn't want to hold my hand whilst walking home from daycare. (laughs) So the response was just to lay down in the middle of the path, and that's it. I'm going no further. I like this one here. Um, Oh, no, let's go go to the next. Well, we'll we'll jump on this one. So we said she couldn't have more bacon. Now, I kind of relate to this one. I I get a little bit like this when I'm told that I can't have more bacon. Uh, Let's have a look at the next one. I wouldn't buy her the Dolly movie for Christmas. Now, if you can see the video she's carrying, that isn't actually a Dolly movie. (laughs) That's uh, definitely not a kid's movie by any means, but she really wanted the Dolly movie. And then this last guy here, I broke his cheese in half. (laughs) That was it. Just set him over the edge. Now, some of you parents, grandparents, you're like, I get it. I've been there. I've seen my child, my grandchild just melt down and lose it completely over the craziest of things. So why am I showing you those pictures? Well, I'll tell you why. We're talking about a prophet of God, Jonah, who was redeemed. We're talking about the fact that he's preached a message, not a great message, but a message, and an entire city of people have also been redeemed. 
So one would expect a wonderful response from Jonah. But let's have a look at Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says, This change of plans, so God's changed his plans. He's not going to punish the Ninevites. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry, like a kid who couldn't have any more bacon. He complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Jonah, what's that about? You've just seen 120,000 people turn from their wicked ways, cry out to God for mercy, and they're redeemed. You're a follower of God. Why are you so mad? We see their hearts change, but in these first few verses of chapter 4, we get a little glimpse at Jonah's heart. And don't forget, as we go through this this morning, let's keep looking at Jonah through our own life. Is there a little bit of Jonah in us sometimes? Because we too have been redeemed. We discover in these first few verses that he's selfish. He's just into himself. This passage I just read, this isn't about the Ninevites. This is about Jonah. He's upset. He's telling God, look at what you've done to me. I told them this is what was going to happen, and now it's not going to happen. It's going to make me look silly. It actually reveals to us that he wasn't telling them God's message in the hope that they would turn from their ways. He was telling them God's message, hoping that he'd then get a front row seat to their destruction because they deserved it. These were the enemies of God. These were Jonah's enemies. They didn't deserve redemption. In fact, we know where his heart is by the next verse here, verse 5. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to that city. He's literally camping out on a hill ready for the destruction. Come on, God. Bring it down because they deserve it. They are bad people. So do you think this means that Jonah thinks God should never show mercy? That maybe people shouldn't be redeemed? Well, no. I don't think it does. And and here's how I know this, because in Jonah chapter 2, we learn that Jonah himself cried out for mercy. He believes that God is merciful, and he believes that God can redeem, because he cried out for it, and he experienced it in his own life. Jonah doesn't have a problem understanding God is a merciful God. Jonah has a problem with who God shows mercy to. Think about that for a second. Jonah doesn't have a problem believing that God is a merciful God. Jonah's just got some stipulations on who God should show that mercy to. I read this in a a study guide. It said, his accusation was that the Lord should be able to discern those times when it was appropriate to be compassionate... But there are other times when God ought to show a more ruthless streak. And here's where I think it gets difficult for us as followers of Jesus this morning. Because the whole purpose of this series, when we think about redeemed, is yes, it's great to look at some people in the Bible, Jehoshaphat, Paul, Jonah, and learn about their story. But the reality is if that's all we did and left, we'd miss really the, the, the main reason for going through this series. And that's what can this teach me? about how I live my life, about what it feels like to be redeemed. And in this situation, 
when I've been redeemed, my attitude and my heart towards others who have yet to be redeemed. You see, God has shown us mercy. He's demonstrated his grace to us. We've been redeemed, but now as followers of Jesus, are we showing that same grace to others? The forgiveness and the grace and the redemption of God that we've received, do we show that same forgiveness, grace to others, the folks who we work alongside, the folks in our neighborhood who are yet to make a decision to follow Jesus? Our friends on Facebook who look different, think different, vote differently than us. Do we, do we have the same grace and mercy that we show towards them that God showed towards us? There's a book by an author, uh, his name's Patrick Lencioni, and this book's called The Advantage. And in this book, Patrick Lencioni introduces us to a principle. It's a business book, it's a leadership book, and he talks about some of the breakdowns on teams and work environments. And one of those he, he, he explains is called the fundamental attribution error. The fundamental attribution error. You're going to get to learn a little business term here, a little kind of um, psychological term here. The fundamental attribution error. So what the fundamental attribution error is is when we attribute negative things in others to their shortcomings, their problems, but we attribute the same shortcomings in ourselves to external influences. We couldn't help that. This wasn't my fault. This was something that happened. Here's an example. Imagine you're at the grocery store and you're checking out and the lady in front of you is checking out and she's there and um, she's trying to check out and she's got a two or three-year-old with her and he's, this two or three-year-old, he's throwing a fit. He's kind of crying and screaming and smashing the car and maybe a little bit like the kid in the first picture who had to share the leg hole, you know, and you're stood behind that person in the grocery store and you find yourself thinking things like, what kind of mum is she? What a terrible parent. Look at the way that kid's behaving. Just no discipline, no rules. Oh, shocking. The very next day, you're at the grocery store with your toddler. You're at the front of the checkout line, and your toddler's throwing a fit. And you can kind of feel people looking at you. But in your mind, you're like, well, it's because he didn't get his nap. And he's had a rough day, and, and you're justifying, and you're uh, you know, coming up with all these reasons why he's behaving the way he is. And that's what the fundamental attribution error is, when we judge people differently than we judge ourselves. We come up with good reasons why, why we're this way and why they're not. I think Jonah looked at the bad in his life, and he justified it as being worthy of God's mercy and grace. He was a prophet of God. Yes, I messed up, but I'm worthy of God's mercy and grace. But then he looked at the people of Nineveh, and all he wants to see was them punished for what they deserved. And here's the thing we've got to remember when it comes to being redeemed. If we're going to receive his grace, we've got to be willing to give his grace, to extend his grace. That's who we've been called as followers of Jesus to be. Almost to be a reflection of God's love to those around us. To share and to show God's grace and love and mercy to others. So God decides, okay, Jonah, we're going to, little object lesson here, we're going to teach you something about your heart, about what's going on. God loves using visual aids and objects to teach Jonah. Um, very early on, we know there was a storm that was used to show Jonah the error of his ways and his disobedience. Uh, God used a whale to teach Jonah about mercy and rescue. And uh, we're going to discover now in Jonah chapter 4 that there was another object that Jonah used, that God used to teach Jonah, and it was 
one of these. Well, it wasn't actually these. Uh, this is a little bag of sour gummy worms, my favorite treat, and I just would rather hold one of these than a real worm, uh, and I get to eat these after the service, so it's a win-win, really. But uh, God decided that I'm going to use a little worm to teach Jonah a lesson. So you might think, well, how? What's, what's this worm got to do with anything? I'll sit you down there, buddy, next to the whale tail. Jonah had set up this little shelter, as I said earlier, to watch what he was hoping would be the destruction of the city. And the reason he'd set up this shelter was because the weather was bad, the conditions were bad, and he wanted protection from the sun and the wind. So Jonah's pretty happy. He sat there in his shelter. He's ready for destruction to rain down. And listen to what happens in verses 7 through 8 of Jonah chapter 4. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. God has to feel like one of the parents of those toddlers in those pictures earlier who are throwing the tantrums. Like, seriously, Jonah? You'd rather die right now than be out there in the sun? In fact, he says to Jonah, verse 9, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Jonah, come on. We chuckle, but sometimes the, the challenge of studying these, these folks is there's a little bit of us that we see reflected back in there. We're like, oh yeah, I, I feel like sometimes I can be a bit like that. So God explains what he's trying to teach Jonah through all of this. Verse 10, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant? Though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I, and this is God speaking, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Shouldn't I have mercy for all these people? Shouldn't I want to see all of these people redeemed? Jonah, you're, you're upset about a small plant that died. What about all these people? And here's the crazy thing. That's the end of the story. That's how Jonah ends. Literally, that verse I just read. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And the book of Jonah ends. You're like, well, should you? Shouldn't you? Jonah, what, what do you think? I mean, this is, this is Jonah's account of his life. Jonah, you've not given us an answer here. I don't know about you, but do you ever get kind of frustrated when you watch a movie that leaves you on a cliffhanger at the end? One of those movies where it gets to the end and, and you're just not sure. It was kind of like a, a tricky ending. You're like, well, did he die? Or did he survive? Did the bad guy die? get away? Did he, you know, what's going on here? And most of the time they're kind of setting you up for a sequel because they want to make some more money, but it's kind of frustrating. Maybe some of you remember there was a movie came out several years ago called Inception, and uh, crazy movie, very difficult to understand, but it ended on a cliffhanger that basically the end of the movie was this top spinning, and throughout the movie, whether the top landed on its side or kept spinning determines the outcome of situations, and as this top spinning, you're watching thinking, is it going to fall over? Is it going to stay and the movie ends. 
and you don't know. You're left hanging there. You have no idea. It's so frustrating. I can remember when I went to see that movie, I left the theater frustrated. Because it doesn't tell you. It just closes out the movie on this spinning top. So as a joke on Facebook, I wrote, I'm so glad I waited to the end of the credits to see what really happened to that spinning top. <laughs> Three or four days later, a girl I worked with, she storms into my office. She goes, Dave Jane, I'm so mad at you. I'm like, why? What have I done? She goes, I saw your post before I saw the movie. 11 minutes. That's how long I sat watching all of the credits, waiting by myself, me and my friends in the empty theater, and we still don't know. Because <laughs> we want closure. We want the answer. So why does Jonah end on this question? Why do we not get the answer to this question? Because I think Jonah... And God speaking through Jonah to us, thousands of years later, the reason this book is in the Bible, the reason the story of this life, this guy's life is in the Bible is because we have to decide this morning, what is the answer to that question? In my life, when it comes to the city of Nineveh, did they deserve to be forgiven? How do I feel about the fact that they were evil people, they were enemies of God, and yet because they said sorry, God redeemed them? How do I feel about that? How do I want the book of Jonah to end? Because the truth is, my answer to that question will determine the way I live my life as someone who's been redeemed by God. It will determine the way I interact with my friends and family and neighbors who've not yet made a decision to follow Jesus. Some of whom could be living lives that are very different to the way that we think lives should be lived. Some of whom, if we're not careful, can be living lives that we don't feel deserve to be redeemed. Deserve to be shown the mercy of God. And yet I think the biggest challenge that we can get as we read about the life of Jonah is that like Jonah, we've been redeemed. Many of us have made mistakes in our lives. We've gone the wrong direction. And God in his mercy, when we turn and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I messed up. He came and he forgave us. And he forgives us again and again and again because he is a God who wants to redeem. But he doesn't just want to redeem you and me this morning. Our God who loves us so much is the shepherd that Jesus talked about who isn't happy with just the 99. If there is still one sheep that is lost, he will leave the 99 to go in search of the one that is lost. That is the Father's heart of God right now for the community of Germantown Hills and Metamora, that there are still some who are lost, and he's looking for them. He wants them to experience that same mercy and redemption that we've experienced. But he chooses to do that through us. And he can only do that through us if, unlike Jonah, we will choose to accept his redemption and then want to see others redeemed. If we're going to receive his grace, we've got to be willing to give grace. Can we pray this morning? Father, thank you so much that over the last couple of weeks, we've learned some incredible stories of individuals who experienced your redeeming, forgiving 
merciful, compassionate love. And through every story, it reminds us that the entire story of the Bible, the entire narrative of the Bible is that you want to redeem every one of us, that a ransom was paid in the death of Jesus because that's how much you loved us. But that wasn't just for us this morning. That was for all mankind. It was for Jonah, but it was also for the Ninevites. It was for us, but it was also for our friends and family members who are far from you right now and who maybe we've written off a little bit. Help us, Lord, not to be like Jonah. Help us not to be uh, like Jonah when he already decided what he thought the fate of the Ninevites should be. Lord, we've been redeemed. We want to see others redeemed. So God, help us if we... For the, the grace we've received from you, help us show that grace to others. Because I think, Lord, as we show that grace to others, that could very well be the door that needed to be opened for our friends and our loved ones and our family members and our neighbors and our colleagues at work to come to that same redemptive relationship with you. Help us in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.